Um, hey, so we're in Philippians now. Uh, so we're doing a four-week series in the book of Philippians. Hopefully you saw the church update or saw it in the newsletter. So I'd um, super strongly um, encourage you to read through the book, right? So I did it again this morning and timed it to see, and I, I did a casual reading, not like a speed reading. It took me right on 10 minutes. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So if you want to, um, I think, get a lot more out of this next series, it'll be a huge benefit if you read through the book a bunch of times. So you could either read a chapter a week, which will take you about three minutes, <laughs> um, or maybe read the whole book every week. And as you do it, and as we kind of unpack it, as we preach and stuff, and in life groups, um, you'll just get a whole bunch more out of it. So I'd encourage you to, to um, think about doing that. One of the reasons we chose it, um, so Tina and I and the elders uh, chose it, it, one of the key themes that you'll see in the book of uh, Philippians is this whole theme of, of joy and encouragement and togetherness, right? It's pretty massive. It's just all the way through the book, right? Joy, a lot of unity and all this kind of stuff. So that's one of the reasons we thought it's such a crazy time on the planet at the moment. It's a cool thing to have a, this theme of unity and joy and stuff. Um, I kind of gave it this little byline to live as Christ. So one of the key things that Paul sees again and again through the book is that a core part of being a follower of Jesus is to emulate Jesus, which makes sense, right? And so you'll see um, this phrase comes up again and again, this whole if I'm going to really live this, this Christian thing, the key part I'm going to do is to emulate the life of Jesus, right? And we'll see that pretty massively this morning. So. But this whole theme of encouragement is just all the way through it. So a couple of silly stories about encouragement. Um, I think I undervalue encouragement massively in my life. Anyone else agree? Anyone? No one? Okay, fine. Thanks, team. I love the... Nah. Um, and so the other day I was running, right? I like, like to go for little runs, not like just half an hour, an hour, like along the river. It's just so beautiful down there. And I was just cruisily plodding along. And um, this super old guy was shuffling along. And as I ran past him, he goes, um, well done, good job. And I thought about it for a second. I thought, really? It's totally pointless, right? I could be the fastest runner in New Zealand but today I'm just going really slow, so his well done, because he doesn't know me, I don't know him, right? So really his words mean absolutely nothing. Does it make sense? Because he doesn't know me, right? But I was just instantly changed, and I went from like plodding to like, doo -doo -doo, I'm like the fastest guy, and I just like powered off, and then as I was powering, I was like, this is really crazy, this guy, I don't even, know. it was so, just that power of encouragement. A um, couple of cool dudes in church, Ross and Mike, dropped off a whole bunch of firewood for uh, Joseph and I, and Kara is, I don't know, residing at our place. Um, and they didn't, they like ringed it up, but they didn't split it. So their love was only kind of a half love, I think, right? So I had to split it, and it's these massive pine rings. And it kind of sat um, uh, outside for maybe a week, and then one said I split it all and stacked it and everything, because I'm pretty manly. Um, no one was like, yeah, you are, Craig, awesome. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Um, anyway, and there's this really cool lady that cruises past our house uh, that I see all the time, loveliest lady in New Zealand. And I was out doing some weird thing in the garden, and she stops, and she just goes, oh, my goodness, you've chopped all that wood already. That is incredible. Look at your stacking job. That is so, and, like, just so enthusiastic. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I went to go, thank you, but she was gone already. And, again, just that, like, little encouragement thing. It took her... I don't know, five seconds? It took that guy five seconds. Um, if you're like me, I think sometimes we, we undervalue the, just a word, right? Sometimes just even a glance. Um, sometimes even just acknowledging someone's existence by looking at them and smiling can just change everything, right? This is one of the big things that Paul's going to talk about, this whole encouragement, this 
importance of community and connection, yeah? Hey, so a little bit of background, real fast, just some background on the book of uh, Philippians. So you can see it's written by Paul. So Paul wrote most of the New Testament, which is kind of wild. Uh, And he founded this church um, back, you can read it in Acts 16, uh, when he went to Philippi on, he does three different like journeys around um, Asia Minor. So on the first one, the second one, sorry, he goes to Philippi and there's a lady called Lydia and uh, she becomes Christian and starts a church in her house, which I'm always like, man, that's super cool. And it ends up becoming quite a significant church. So go Lydia. Um, And now he's um, in prison. So he's in prison in Rome. And the date of this is probably around 61, 62 AD, which always makes me go, oh, that's so cool. Because it's like 25 or so years since Jesus left. And I'm like, man, that's so close to like the exciting Jesus time. I always think it's really cool, right? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. So he's in prison uh, in Rome, writing this letter to this church that he kind of planted to encourage them. A couple of reasons why he writes it. One, there's obviously some disunity coming in. You'll see that as we get through the book. Um, There's also some arrogance getting um, stuck into the church, so he's going to address that. But one of the big reasons he writes it, and you see this real clearly in chapter 4, is to say thanks for their gift. And so this church has sent him four pretty significant financial gifts uh, over his ministry to encourage him. And the last one they sent to him um, was while he's in prison. And so their pastor brings this gift to to him in prison in Rome, which would have been pretty crazy uh, to encourage. And he's just writing. You'll see it in in chapter 4. He writes back to them going, man, this gift has just had such an impact. You guys are amazing. It's really cool. So that's kind of some of the reasons for... Um, for writing it. Hey, so I gave this first little chapter, um, this little title, May Your Love Overflow, right? May Your Love Overflow. So I'd love to unpack the whole chapter, but if that was me, it would take like six months, right? So I've squashed down. So we're just going to look at three of the key verses that the amazing uh, TJ read. So the first one is this one, um, verse 9. So I'll chuck it on the screen, right? Philippians 1.9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, right? I I love this um, verse. So I'm going to unpack 9 and 10 and 11 and just take a key phrase out of each one. So this is the first kind of phrase I came up with, is what is love, right? And it comes out of that first little bit. Um, If you saw the newsletter, um, I put this little thing in there about that crazy song in the 80s. Does anyone remember that terrible song in the 80s, that what is love? What is love? And then the next line is... Baby, don't hurt. Where were you all? Come on. Okay, I'll just do a solo. Baby, don't hurt. Anyway, whatever. So terrible song. Do not YouTube it. The video is just shocking and like, what is happening in this, right? It's the 80s. Um, And in the song, the guy says like, I don't know how many times, maybe 30. I read the lyrics maybe 30 times. He says, what is love? Just keep saying it, right? Um, And the, the crazy thing is, if you watch the video, which you shouldn't do, the whole time he's just jumping into all this temptation. And he's leaping into all these terrible temptation situations, but the whole time he's singing to this woman of his, what is love, don't hurt me. It's like, you're the one. It's very confusing. But it was the 80s, right? So they've all got giant hair and wearing very weird clothes. Um, but to not be cheesy, I, I do think that question, hey, what is love? I think that's one of the biggest questions that we as humans have ever asked, Yeah. So I think one of the biggest questions we ever ask is, what does it really mean, A, to love someone else, to really love them? What does that mean? What does that look like, right? But then I think maybe bigger than that, what does it mean to be loved by someone else? What does that, what does that really look like for me to be loved by someone? And then part of that, which we talk about a lot now, is what does it mean for me to really love myself? What does that look like, right? So I think this whole question, um, what is love, is like a key thing that we kind of wrestle with. 
One of the big things you see in the New Testament is they use specific words. So I think you guys know, right? And English is the worst language ever, right? Heaps of our words are just bizarre, right? They have so many different meanings. You can chop a tree down and then you chop it up. What? How does that work? Does it make sense? English is dumb, right? So are you with me? Did that blow some of your minds? You're like, what's happening? Um, so in Greek, in Greek is a lot more specific. And so when Paul says, um, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. For us, we kind of go, oh, yeah, love, awesome. But if I said, what exactly does that mean? We go, oh, I got nothing, right? So I love pizza. I love my dog. I love the gym. I love Joyce. But each of those loves has a totally different meaning in the context, right? So when Paul writes this, we're like, I don't know. So in Greek, there's six or seven, depending on who you are, um, different words for love, right? And one of the key ones that they use all the time, which you guys know, is um, agape, right? So you guys know the word agape. So this is the one that Paul chose here, which to me is really, really significant. So the easiest definition of agape is this. It's a practical, sacrificial love, right? A practical, sacrificial love, right? So it's not an airy-fairy love kind of thing. It's a real grunty kind of word. It's primarily used in the New Testament of God's love for Jesus Christ or God's love for us, right? And it's always this practical, sacrificial kind of thing. So a couple of examples would be, you see it in First John 4. So in First John 4, um, you'll see it says, um, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, same word, agape, and you're waiting for the thing um, that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Sent his son, practical and sacrificial love. You see that, eh? You with me? Ish, cool, thank you. Um, the other one would be like John 3.16, classic John 3.16. For God so loved the world, same word again, you're waiting for the practical sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And you're like, oh, practical sacrificial. Okay, so now I want to read that verse again with that kind of feeling in it. Because when the church at Philippi gets this letter and they read it, they would have gone like this. Oh, whoa. That's a big call, Paul. Whew. Are you really saying I need to love the community that I'm in with a practical, sacrificial love? So if I read like that, so Paul's saying to them, and therefore saying to us, I pray that your practical, sacrificial love will overflow more and more. You can see the difference, eh, when you explain it. Does it make sense? Yeah, it's kind of, to me it's pretty huge, right? So one of the questions then I would say is, but what does that really look like in the church? He's telling us to love one another in a practical, sacrificial way. What does that kind of look like? And to me, one of the, when you're I'm reading the Bible and you're trying to see um, phrases or words described, you always want to look at the, the chapter or maybe the book to see if they kind of unpack it. And I think Paul does in verse 27. So if you've got your Bible, whoa, where was it going? Go over to verse 27. Um, and you'll see, I think you can see him um, explain the verse pretty clearly there, this whole idea of love. Um, I'll read it from the middle. He says, then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, which because he's in prison, so he doesn't know if he'll be able to get there, I'll know, and this to me is this key bit, I'll know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Um, to me, that's just such a powerful way that Paul says it. I, I chucked on the screen so we could see it. Standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Um, I just love how Paul, when he writes, is a very powerful writer. So very often he uses really, really strong language, and you see it here, right? Standing together, fighting together. It's this like, man, this is a full-on way. So how do I 
love you? How do I agape you with that practical sacrificial? Standing with you. Strong word, right? Fighting with you for the truth of the gospel, right? The truth of salvation, right? Pretty, pretty full on. I want to say this next bit real carefully. I wrestled with this a lot this week, trying to figure out how do I say this real carefully. So, I don't know. Just listen and I don't know. You can't stand together or fight together if you're not actually being together. Makes sense, right? Christianity is always a team faith. It's never a solo faith. We are the church. We are the community. And I think there's this real danger in our our church at the moment that the consumeristic culture we live in is infecting us, infecting the church. So let me explain what I mean by that. A simple way to define consumerism is I will do and consume whatever I want, when I want, and, it will, and believing it will bring me fulfillment, right? I will consume, I'll take whatever I want, when I want, and it will bring me fulfillment. That's an easy definition of consumerism. And the society we live in now is just drenched in this, drenched in this. It's all about just consume, consume, consume. It's even the message now that we're getting, right? We need to be shopping local. You know, all, I, I don't want to get all political, right? <laughs> consume, consume. What will bring me happiness? I'll do it when I want, when I want. And to me, one of the biggest dangers, um, realities in the church at the moment, is that we, and I think unconsciously, I don't think we've done it intentionally, but unconsciously, we've allowed the consumeristic mentality of society to infect us in the way we do church. And so we turn church into a consumeristic experience, because that's what we do in society, it's what we're being told to do all the time as, as people, right? So this is the way I keep thinking about it, and this really, really scares me. This is what we say, I'll say it the other way around. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is our God. He is the Lord of our life. And he commands us, you see it in here, right? He commands us to do community with the body of Christ that he's put us in, which for us is Agora Church. He commands us to do community with them, love them in this practical, sacrificial way, right? Um, Stand with them, fight with them, right? But if I'm going to do that, then he is the center of my entire life. The community of God's people, Agora Church, is the center of my entire life. Everything I do fits around that. It fits around my relationship with Jesus Christ. It fits around my relationship with you. Does it make sense, eh? Because he is the Lord of my life, the God of my life. And you all, whether I love you or not, you are part of the body that I belong to. So I must love you, overflow with love. I must stand with you, right? But I think what we've done, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm kind of doing my hand out, and now I'm going to flip my hands upside down. But I think what what society is trying to force us to do, and I think it's the evil one, it's not rocket science, is to flip that. And we end up saying it this way, the church, the people, right, and Jesus, I'll fit that around my lifestyle. Does that make sense? Rather than saying my lifestyle will fit around Jesus in the church, the community of his people, I'm not meaning like the physical building or Sunday morning or anything crazy like that, I mean the people. We flip it and we say, from now on, Jesus and his people will fit around my lifestyle. Makes sense, eh? I'll get to church when it fits my lifestyle. I'll join a life group if it fits my lifestyle. I'll, I'll jump on the meal train and cook meals for people if it fits my lifestyle, rather than going, man, there's someone on the meal train who is part of my body. I'm the body of Christ. I've got to love, I've got to stand. You know what I mean, eh? It's scary. It's, it's a bit of an aggressive thing to say, but I think 
Paul brings it out all the time through this, this letter, so I wanted to chuck it out there. Okay, let me do a quick illustration to not be so intense. So I recently joined a gym, which I've told you, right? And still no one's come to me and said, bro, you're looking buff as, which is pretty hurtful, but that's okay, I'm moving on. Um, so n- true story, when I joined the gym, I had the fastest gym induction in the history of gym inductions. It was so funny. The guy that was meant to be on the desk was working out with his mate. And so when I turned up, I turned up at the desk and he just sprints over and he's like, what do you need, bro? And I was like, oh, I want to join the gym. He's like, yeah, man, form, gone. And I was like, what the heck? So I was filling out the form and then I kind of waved it at him and he was under the bench press. He's like, yeah, man. And he comes sprinting over. He's like, cool. Yep, form looks great. Okay. And then he gave me three apps for my phone, literally three apps for my phone, the Wi-Fi password, a swipe card, and the fastest tour of the gym ever. He literally goes, look at the TV. So the TV had, like, they have cameras all over the gym. And he goes, look at the, look at the TV, bro. This is how he does it. Look at the TV, bro. Okay, number two, that's the stairs going upstairs. Number four is the gym part upstairs. Number five, that's where you go to the changing rooms. Number six, all good. I was like, ah, uh, sure. He's like, all right, man. And then he's gone. He's under the bench press again. I was like, what just happened? It was the weirdest thing ever. Oh. So I go home. I'm lying on the couch. I've got my Wi-Fi password, my official Snap Fitness swipe card. Pretty amazing. I've got my three apps on my phone. Who needs three apps? Anyway, three apps on my phone. And the world's fastest tour. And I lay on the couch for three weeks, right? And nothing happened. My abs didn't appear. <laughs> my muscles didn't. Even though I had three apps and the Wi-Fi password swipe card. I'm joking, right? I had to get off my gluteus maximus and get down to the gym, right? If I wanted to see the life change, I had to go where the life change always occurs, right? If I want to have Jesus as a centre of my life, if I want to love all you glorious people, I've got to be with you glorious people. It just doesn't happen. You can have all the Agora Church apps and whatever. You know what I'm saying, right? Hey, here's the, the second part. Um, love is knowledgeable and discerning. Um, love is knowledgeable and discerning. Um, here's that first verse again, verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Oh, I just love that, eh? I love it. Um, There's a little quote here that explains these little phrases. It was Paul's prayer that the Philippians' love for other believers would abound. I love this next bit. Run over as a cup or a river overflows. Let me go back to stop you reading it. I love that illustration. That kind of freaks me out because that means my love for you all should be overflowing like a river. Now, when I, when I remember the word that Paul used in a practical, sacrificial way, it's like, oh, that's going to take some effort, right? That's going to take some intentionality and some energy. If I've got to love you like an overflowing river in a practical, sacrificial, I'm like, oh, I'll go to another church. This is crazy. Okay, let me keep going. But that love should be more than sentimental, right? It should be knowledgeable and discerning having genuine spiritual knowledge of God and depth of insight into his ways enables Christians to love God and others more. Oh, I just love that, eh? You guys know the most important thing about you is always your relationship with God. Always, right? It's the number one thing, the most important thing. And that's what Paul's saying here. The, the, the most important thing, if I want to love you guys really well, if I want to have my love overflowing more and more to you, the number one thing I've got to do is be knowledgeable and discerning in the ways of God and understanding God, right? It makes sense, right? So I wrote this down. This is the easy way to think about it. My love for God will always direct and empower my love for you all. I'll say it again, right? My love for God will always direct and empower my love for you all. Always, right? So another way to say it like this. My love for him 
will always direct my love for you. Does it make sense, eh? My love for him will always direct my love for you. So let's do it as a team exercise, right? So everyone, hands up, pointing up. Even though God is everywhere, he's not just up, right? He's every, everyone hands. There's some people who don't have hands. Peter, don't make me come down there and whoop your... No, so, I'm joking. Have you seen Peter's pants, by the way? Amazing, coolest pants I've ever seen. So here we go. My love for him will always direct my love for you. Point at the people around you, right? Yeah. It's amazing, eh? Amazing. I love that, eh? I love that. So this makes sense to me, right? This, this makes sense to me. I can be arrogant and judgmental, right? I can wear a very large pair of judging pants when I meet you and think all sorts of things about you and judge you. But when I start spending more time with God, and when I start realizing that I am such a messed up sinner who continues to sin and stuff up and fall short, (laughs) but yet God still loves me and wants to use me, then I take off my judging pants (laughs) and I put on a really nice pair of humble pants, right? (laughs) And I come to you without any judgment at all (laughs) and in humility and go, man, how can I love you? How can I serve you? And you're doing the same to me, right? With a different pair of pants, because that would just be a weird illustration. Okay, here's the last bit. Um, Love is seen in the fruit, right? Here's the the last verse, verse 11. Love is seen in the fruit. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. I just love that, eh? I love that. Now, don't forget, it's, it's real important to see what he's saying here. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus. So we are already righteous, Right? We're already righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, which all the cool people in the church have tattooed on their arms because it's such a good verse, um, says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are righteous now. When you became a Christian, when you moved into that relationship with God, he declares you as righteous, as holy, as beautiful, as pure. Your sin is removed, past, present, and future. Done deal. So what he's talking about here is not striving to become righteous because you already have that but now living out that righteous character, right? So this is that that key phrase I said before. It's beginning to emulate the life of who Jesus Christ is, right? Beginning to emulate the life of who Jesus is. So as as I work to love you all more, as I work to understand more about who God is and knowledge and discernment of God, naturally popping out from me will be the fruit of living this righteous life, right? I'll just find myself. I'm not working on it. I'm finding myself more patient, more humble, more understanding, more loving, more joyful, more... Makes sense, eh? Okay, so at our house, we have citrus trees. Who has citrus trees at their place? It's like a Hamilton thing, eh? It's like everyone. It's the weirdest thing. Um, So we have citrus trees at our place, and here's the weirdest thing. Are you ready for the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your entire life? Each of them produces what they are. I know. Unbelievable. So the lemon tree... Are you ready to go, shut up? Are you ready? The lemon tree produces lemons. I know. I was just shocked. It's the weirdest thing. By the way, we have more lemons than everyone in New Zealand. So if you need lemons, I'm your guy. I don't even know what to do with them. The orange tree, oranges, unbelievable. The mandarin tree, guess what? Mandarins, right? Um, this, is, this is what I'm trying to say. We produce the fruit of who we are, right? We produce the fruit of who we are. Um, If I'm an orange tree, I'm going to produce oranges. If I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to produce Jesus Christness, right? 
Um, so an easy way to assess where am I in my relationship with Jesus is just to look at what the fruit. What's coming out of my mouth? What's coming out of my life? Am I real judgy? Real down on people? Real negative and stuff? It's like, wow, that's interesting because I'll always produce the fruit of who I am. Or am I being surprised often by my love and my peace and my patience and my kindness, my gentleness, my faithfulness, my self-control? It's because I'm connected with God, and so just naturally, that is what is going to come popping out of me, right? If I'm an orange tree, I produce oranges. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to produce Jesusness, right? Hey, let me finish with this um, quote from Henri Nouwen. I love this quote. To be a witness for God is to be, living, to be a living sign of God's presence in the world. What we live is more important than what we say. I love that, eh? Because the right way of living always leads to the right way of speaking. It feels like he flipped it. I love that. When we forgive our neighbors from our hearts, our hearts will speak forgiving words. When we are grateful, we'll speak grateful words. And when we are hopeful and joyful, we'll speak hopeful and joyful words. I love this. Let me read it again. To be a witness for God is to be a living sign of God's presence in the world. And I, I'd add in me. To be a witness for God is to be a living sign of God's presence in me. What we live is more important than, the, than what we say because the right way of living always leads to the right way of speaking. When we forgive our neighbors from our hearts, our hearts will speak forgiving words. When we're grateful, we'll speak grateful words. When we're hopeful and joyful, we'll speak hopeful and joyful words. I just love that, eh? I love that. Hey, Etu, let's all stand up. Yeah. Um, I, I just hope I wasn't too harsh in what I said before. And I, it feels kind of upside down because you're the ones that are here, right? You're the ones that are connecting in. So go you. Whoop, whoop. Um, but it, that, that complacency, eh? that consumerism just concerns me massively. So as I finish, a hey, fruit, what fruit are you seeing in your life? Um, it should be natural, right? It's not like, right, I'm going to work on being more peaceful. It's like, no, 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 no. I work on being more connected with God and then naturally that'll pop out, right? So how are you doing? If you were assessing yourself, would you be like, yeah, I am. It's weird, bro. I really am becoming more peaceful, more patient, more kind. Or is it like, nah, I'm actually becoming more anxious, more negative, more, I don't know. There's always seasons, right? Everything's in seasons. Sometimes I'm just in a real tough season. It's like, man, the fruit at the moment is a nightmare. It's just a crazy season. But that big picture, I should be coming more like Christ, right? Yeah, let me, let me pray for us. Worship team, do you guys want to come up and I'll pray? Yeah. Yeah, Almighty God, thanks uh, always that you love us. Um, yeah, that we don't earn our salvation. Eh? Our salvation um, comes out of us in thanks and service to you. Um, it's not going to church and I get God points or turning up to life group and I'm more spiritual or anything crazy like that. It's all about connecting with you, God. Oh, I just love what Paul says there, eh, that... Um, I pray that your love, I pray that your practical, sacrificial love will overflow more and more. Now, I call out to you now, Almighty God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and His authority. And I ask you to help us as a church, as a body of Christ here, to just live that. <laughs> that our love for one another would overflow. I love that, illust that illustration, like a river, like a cup overflowing. That we wouldn't be able to contain the love we have for each other. 
that when someone chucks up a meal train, people are fighting to get on there because it's just full instantly. When someone needs a hand to move, everyone's just around, you know. When someone's in need and, and puts a, a concern on the prayer chain, they're just flooded with love and care. And Yeah, yeah we want to um, exhibit that, that righteous character of Jesus Christ, God. We really do. We love you like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.